Welcome to The Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today we read from Matthew chapter 14. At that time Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus, and he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had been saying to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people, because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod, so that he promised, with an oath, to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison, and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it, and they went and told Jesus. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat, to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. They all ate and were satisfied, and they took up twelve baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about five thousand men besides women and children. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night he came to them walking on the sea, But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And when they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick, and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. This is the word of the Lord. 
Our text today begins with the death of John the Baptist, or at least a recap of a death that occurred previously, because now Herod is thinking that John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. So as a recap of our own here, this is not Herod the Great, the one who was alive at the birth of Jesus. However, uh, this is his descendant, Herod Antipas. This Herod will live until 39 AD. He is exiled eventually by the Roman emperor Caligula, and he dies in that exile. That he's called a tetrarch indicates that he has a fourth of his father's rule, uh, the tetra prefix there. He shared this with his brothers Archelaus as well as Herod Philip. Herod Archelaus seems to have been the one to have the, the greatest authority of the group. But Herod Antipas is the one that most of the New Testament ends up focusing on because he's the one interacting in the area of Jerusalem. So he fears John the Baptist has somehow raised from the dead and thus has these miraculous powers. So he thinks, it's hard to say exactly, because Greek mythology is not a lot into the resurrection idea. And nor does the Old Testament give this kind of indication either, that when the prophets raised the widow's son, for example, that all of a sudden he had supernatural ability. This seems to be some other pagan idea coming into his faith, but it's not just his, as we'll see later in the chapter for the disciples as well. So if he thinks this is demons that are at play, if he thinks this is some other kind of false faith, we just, we're not sure. But he clearly believes that Jesus Christ is not the Messiah, but instead something evil that has come to haunt him and destroy him. Now, why would it haunt him? John the Baptist had been preaching against Herod. He had been specifically, as he did with everyone, he called them to repent. He called Herod to repent of the sin that Herod had committed. Now, what sin was that? It's the sin of adultery. He had... Herodias, his brother's wife, as his own wife. Now, there are ways that that could have occurred without it have been an adultery. For example, if Herod Philip had passed away, Herod Antipas could be doing the law of leveret marriage from the Old Testament, taking his brother's wife into his home as his own wife and raising up children by her in the name of his brother. Multiple things don't fit, though. First, Herod Philip is still alive. He's not dead. Second, he and Herodias had children already, including two sons and one daughter. Their names, by the way, Philip the Tetrarch, Aristobulus of Chalcis, and the daughter's name, Salome, or Salome, however you want to pronounce that. The other problem Herodias had divorced her husband, which under Jewish law was quite a scandal. Herod Antipas himself is also divorced. According to the Jewish historian Josephus, he divorced a woman, his first wife. I think you'd pronounce her name Phasaelis, P-H-A-S-A-E-L-I-S. Her father, Eratos IV, was king of Nabataea, 
which was a kingdom just north of the Red Sea, and this disaster of a marriage ends up causing conflict to stir with her father, Eretus, and he eventually comes and fights against Herod and even takes some of Herod's territory. So this disaster is all around for King Herod. So Herod divorces his wife, Herodias divorces her husband, and then they marry each other, and John the Baptist comes and says that that is sin and that they must repent. And they kill him for it. I'm taking the time to focus on this here because is this not what we do in America all the time? Man divorces his wife, a woman divorces her husband. They think that they're no longer bound. They think they're not married. So they go and they marry others. And we pretend it's okay. John the Baptist preached against it. And he becomes a martyr because of it. We have marriage messed up in American society, not just in the way that Christians normally are against, the ways that you see the culture moving in the 21st century. No, the ways the culture moved in the 20th century were also wrong. So that's the backstory with Herod and Herodias. Now Herod has a party celebrating his birthday, invites a large number of guests, and Salome, Salome, daughter of Herodias, dances for the whole group. Many have argued in history that this has a sexual connotation to the dance, but there's nothing in the text itself that actually tells us that. The word that gives us English word dance here ends up being the word for orchestra. So, more of a, I think, a formal, fancy kind of style of a dance, perhaps, if we're going literally from the verb itself. Anyway, Herod is so pleased, she has pleased his company, his guests, that he offers to give her whatever she would ask for. She doesn't ask, but she takes that request to her mother, and her mother asks, for John to be killed. Herod was afraid to touch him. The people thought he was a prophet. He was afraid of the uprising that would happen. So he didn't. But his wife, not so much. She is willing to have the man murdered in cold blood and doesn't care what might happen to her husband because of it. She is so incensed at him for saying that she has sinned. This is the sinful heart for you and for me as well. The king regrets his promise, but having made an oath, he will not break it, and he goes forth with it anyway. The disciples come, John's disciples. They bury John, and then they go and report to Jesus. The next account here, after Jesus learns of it, he withdraws, trying to mourn. He goes by himself to a desolate place that's uninhabited. But he doesn't even get the opportunity to grieve because the crowds flock to him and he has compassion on them. He heals them. He cares for them. 
such is the Lord. This is who he is. It's what he does. As the day comes to its close, the disciples try to send everyone away so they have time to go home and and buy food for themselves before the markets would close. And Jesus stops them and tells them to give the crowd something to eat. And their reply is that they have only five loaves of bread and two fish. That's not a lot of food. Might feed a couple of men, but that's about it. But then Jesus performs the miracle known as the feeding of the 5,000. He multiplies the the bread and the fish to the point where there is enough there to feed 5,000 men plus women and children. We don't know the full number here. You can imagine, if you thought this was the Messiah, the Savior who had come to deliver you, that if you were a man, the head of your household, and you were going to meet him, and you wanted to hear him teach, you can imagine that you would take your wife and children with you as well, that everyone would want to hear this good news. So how many there were there? I don't know. More than 5,000 at least. And they end up collecting after the meal more food than they started with. Twelve baskets of broken leftover pieces. Just the abundance of Jesus' miracle. Now, I do want to point out that this foreshadows the Lord's Supper. Look at the pattern. He takes the bread. He looks up to heaven, says a blessing. Then he breaks the bread. He gives it to the disciples. The disciples give it to the crowd. And they eat and are satisfied. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks... He broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying to them, Take and eat. This is my body. This do in remembrance of me. Now also in this, then, as he gives to the disciples and the disciples give to the crowd, we could also speak of the pastoral office. That your pastor, a disciple of Jesus, as you are, takes that bread from Jesus and gives it to you. So there's some neat connections to the Lord's Supper, certainly, in this miracle. Then we get another, that Jesus would walk on water. It begins by dismissing those crowds. The disciples are sent by Jesus to cross the Sea of Galilee already on their own, while he goes up on a mountain by himself to pray. So he finally gets that alone time that he was looking for back in verse 13. And as his time of prayer ends... He goes after the disciples, but they're way across the sea already, so he actually walks on the water to get to them. That can be a family conversation here today. Why can Jesus walk on water? The simple answer is because he's God. A little more detail can be poured in about how the Lord has authority over all of creation, that he can make the water do what he wants the water to do just as he calms the storm and it obeys him. And it does again here as well, except it doesn't appear he said any words to calm it. He simply gets in the boat and it dies. Dies down, ends. So in the fourth watch is when he does this. That would be 3 to 6 a.m. The hours of the night from 6 to 6, as we would call it, 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. are divided into four quarters. First, second, third, and fourth watch, three hours apiece. So 3 to 6 a.m., 
He goes out to them. They see him coming. They're terrified, and they proclaim it is a ghost. Literally, the Greek word is the one that gives us our English word, phantom. It only shows up in this account of Jesus walking on the water. Mark also tells the account, Mark 6, verse 49, he'll use the same word, so it shows up twice technically, but same account, nowhere else in Scripture. So hard to say exactly what the disciples have going on in their minds, just as Herod, thinking John the Baptist was raised from the dead and now could do miracles. Where does this ghost idea end up coming into the disciples' theology from? Hard to say, but they, they're terrified. Jesus does not leave them in that fear, but instead immediately speaks to them, take heart, literally be encouraged, be couraged. It is I. Not the greatest English translation by that, that phrase either there. It is the same translation that the Gospel of John will use in all of those I am statements of Jesus. Ego a me. Take heart, be encouraged, I am. The claim to be God. And that they need not be afraid because he is with them. Peter, showing a little doubt and testing the Lord here, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. That's quite the demand, that he would be able to walk on water himself if this is truly Jesus. And Jesus invites him, come. So Peter goes, and he's walking on water. Why could Peter walk on water, and yet why did Peter sink? Those are good family conversations again. Why can Peter, just a man, walk on water? Because the Lord has allowed it. The Lord has granted it, and yet he sinks because he fails to trust. As soon as he notices the storm again, so for that moment, briefly, it was out of his mind. He was fixed on Jesus, and things were going well. But when he takes his mind off of Jesus, and he focuses instead on the storm and his fear, he sinks. He falls down into the water. This is a reminder of our faith. It is by faith that we receive the gifts of Jesus. The gift of forgiveness, life, and salvation. They're gifts. They're received. But if we end up turning from Jesus, like the parable of the sower and those who were choked out by the cares of this world or those who were burned up by the the scorching sun of temptation and persecution. If we turn our eyes from Jesus and instead focus on the things of this world, our faith can fail and we can fall. But Peter, faith failing, not gone. That's what we'd call doubt, right? Peter calls out to the Lord, save me. This is good. This is what we do in our faith, in our moments of doubt. We also call upon the Lord. We pray to him to deliver us from that doubt. And Jesus does not wait again, just as he didn't in verse 27. He knew their fear. He called out to them. So in verse 31, he knows where Peter is, and he saves him. He reaches out and grabs him, delivers him. 
O you of little faith, why did you doubt? As far as we know, Peter doesn't answer the question. This is us as well. Thanks be to God that Jesus still reaches out and saves us. So as he enters the boat and the storm stops, the disciples worship him saying, Truly you are the Son of God. They have seen so many miracles and they've seen him calm a storm already, but now having fed the 5,000 with so little food and walking on water and saving Peter, they declare the truth that we know in hindsight so well, that he is the Son of God. They then finally reach land. They come to Gennesaret, which is two or three miles west of the city of Capernaum, so it's on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. The people there recognize him. They bring to him the sick again, this time acknowledging that if they can just touch his garments, even the end of it, they will be healed. And indeed they are. Just like the woman who had suffered from bleeding for all those years, and she came up and touched Jesus' garment in the midst of the crowd, and she was healed immediately. Jesus, the Son of God, healing and saving those who trust in him.